It is good to see you all this morning. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of John. And uh, as Alan just said, we're going through a series dealing with the I Am's of Christ. He wants us to know more about Him, and so this week we come to the statement that He says, I am the Good Shepherd. And it's interesting when we talk about Jesus being a good shepherd, but did you know that the only time that Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd is in the book of John in chapter 10, in the text that we're going to look at today. And yet we often talk about him as the good shepherd, and, and we see that as, as how he leads us and cares for us and provides for us, but this really is the only time he ever makes that statement. But in chapter 9, so let's kind of do a little background to where we are in John chapter 10. In chapter 9... Jesus heals a man who was born blind. And, and, and as that takes place, what happens is Jesus had a confrontation in the temple with some people, the Pharisees and the, the teachers and the scribes there. And as he was leaving the temple, he and his disciples walked past this man who was there at the gateway. And they noticed him, and the disciples began asking questions of Jesus about this fellow who was born blind. And they wanted to know. Why is this guy blind? I mean, was it something he did, or, or did his parents sin as a result of their sin? He's now blind? And Jesus says, no, you, you don't understand, guys. He's not blind because of anything he's done or anything his parents have done. The reason this man is born blind is so that the works of God might be displayed in his life. Now, that's a unique answer, isn't it? So let me ask you a question. Do you know what the work of God is? I guess I'll answer it. <laughs> it's this. The work of God is to display His glory. And the way He does that best is in our lives by working within us and providing opportunities for us to, to share our faith with other people. And through the miraculous things that He has done, our lives happen to be the same way in which He displays His glory even today. Now, as they're stepping out of all this, Jesus then stops by this fella, and he stoops down, and he spits in the ground, and he makes a little bit of mud. And he picks it up, and he walks over to the man, and he puts this mud on this man's eyes, and he tells him to go to the pool of Siloam and wash the mud out, and he'll see. Well, somehow the man makes his way to the pool, and as he gets there, and he begins to wash his face and clean the mud out of his eyes, all of a sudden, he sees. And what a miraculous thing that, that God has just healed this man and brought sight to him. I mean, I would call that a wonderful day, would you not? I mean, even spitting all. I mean, it's a great day for this God. And, and yet, in the midst of all this, there were some people who were mad about it. We think, how could they, how could they be so mad about what had just transpired? Well, it was the Pharisees and they were upset because what had just taken place happened on a Sabbath day, a Saturday. And you weren't supposed to do any kind of work on that day. And so they're upset because Jesus has just healed this man on the Sabbath day. And, and this man had to go and he washed his eyes. And so they want a confrontation with all of this. So instead of celebrating this man's recovery, they've turned it into... A tribunal. They bring this guy in before them and want to know who did this to you. Well, he really doesn't know because, matter of fact, when he was with the guy, he was blind and he couldn't see him. <laughs> All he knows is somebody 
put mud in my eyes, I went and washed, and now I see. Well, that wasn't good enough for them, so they brought this fellow's parents in. And they start to question them, but they get a little terrified because they thought, you know, they've got some power, and they might be able to kick us out of the synagogue, and we can't come in and learn and grow and worship. And so they, they said, he's old enough to talk for himself, so you, you ask him the questions. And so here we come into the end of the story. I want us to read here in John chapter 9, verses 35 through 41. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, You have seen him. Isn't that great? You have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see and those who may see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees heard him and, and these things, and they said to him, Are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, We see, your guilt remains. Okay, now that's a little bit of the background that we have in mind here. And, and, and so then we're ready to get ready to move into John chapter 10 in this discussion about who he really is. And so right after he calls them blind and guilty, Jesus then starts in verse 1 of chapter 10. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, <clears throat> he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man's a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeepers open. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls him his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Now, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again he said to them, Truly, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, and I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now here's a question. See, Jesus is saying, I'm the gate, and last week Rob did an excellent a, a, a job of presenting that idea of who Jesus is, that I am the door, I am the gate. But when you hear the word gate, what do you think of? I think of that thing that sits on a hinge, and usually it's, it's made out of iron or steel or aluminum or something, and it swings, or sometimes the gates are made out of wire or rope or whatever, but th that's what I think of. It's something that swings open, and, and, and you have the ability to go through it. Jesus is giving us a different picture of what a gate is. You see, the only gate that the shepherd knows during Palestine at the time of Christ the only gate was the shepherd. 
there was an opening into the sheepfold and they could just come and go. There was nothing that shut it off. The only thing that shut it off was his presence. And so a shepherd then would go and he would sit there or lay down there in the doorway, in the gateway, with his staff and his rod, and he would then lay there while his sheep were being protected inside. And the only way into them was, in essence, over my dead body. Because he would protect them that way. Now in John chapter 10, he moves on there in verse 11, and he says this to them. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He who is hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Now, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Now, two times in this passage of Scripture, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. And in order to help us understand what it means by that, by that title that he gives himself, we need to know two things. First off, we're sheep. That's who we are. We're the sheep. And the second thing is, sheep, like us, we need a good shepherd. So let's begin with this idea of us being sheep. I mean, it's kind of insulting, I think, that, that he would call us sheep. When you begin to consider sheep, I, I don't know how else to describe it. Why would anyone want to be recognized or associated with the idea of being a sheep? I mean, there's really no comparison, at least not the way I see it. And I think a lot of, way, a lot of other people see it. Now, granted, sheep are cute and cuddly and fluffy, and I may be able to see myself that way, but not really like the rest of the sheep. You see, because sheep really are... They're not fearless. They're not rugged. They're not tough creatures who inspire greatness. You know, on the contrary, they're very passive. They're very submissive. And they're just this dependent blobs of wool that just kind of hang around. That's what sheep are. I don't even know a school that would choose to have sheep as their mascot. However, sort of mattresses, they really like their sheep as their mascot because it makes you think of going to sleep at night and the comfort of all that there. You might even be sleeping on wool sheets, right? Well, I think I'd prefer to be called a wildcat, you know? Ready for the battle, ready to fight, ready to scratch and claw. But the truth is, the Bible never calls us wildcats. Matter of fact, about 200 times, it calls us sheep. So I want to take a look at some of the characteristics of sheep and see if we kind of fit that identification. All right? The first thing is this notoriously, sheep are, are known to be followers. I mean, sheep, that's what they are. They just follow. Sheep are followers. And if one member of the flock starts running toward the highway, they all start going towards the highway. They, they follow one another no matter what's happening. They, they, they have this herd instinct, and they just go with the flow. Sheep will mindlessly follow anything that catches their attention. Second thing is this. Sheep are, well, they're helpless. 
They, they really are. I mean, that's why wolves and carnivorous animals love to come after them, because they have no line of defense except to run. And soon they're going to run out of air, because they don't run all the time. They just stop and graze, and they really don't know what to do. And so when a, when a hungry wolf sees a lamb, he just says, dinner is served, and I want my lamb chops. And so he gets it. The third thing is this. Sheep, they're nearly blind. Now, there's something unique about sheep in this, all right? The, the, the sheep have their eyes on the sides of their heads, and they can see even behind them. Now, that's a unique thing. But there's a struggle. They cannot see what's right in front of their nose. And they have a limited depth of perception to maybe 15 yards. It's not very far. And something unique as well, they, they really probably can't even see things that are up in the trees. So sheep, they depend a lot on what they hear and what they smell. Their, 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 their smeller, their nose, is really significant in the things that they do. And when they hear sounds, they know whether or not it's a friendly one or something that's different. And they're really jittery about this because they're simply just, they're nearly blind and helpless. Fourth thing is this, sheep, they're hard-headed. Now, wild sheep out in the wilderness, such as rams or the bighorn sheep, they just love to, to butt heads. And I guess the female sheep find it attractive. But they, they're always out there butting heads. But there's something unique about this. They've discovered that inside the cranium of a sheep, there's extra room. So they're really not damaging their brains. All right? And so as a result of the things about sheep, throughout history they have been known to be... I don't think there's really another way to put it. They've known them been stupid. They're just a stupid creature that doesn't know what to do, and they follow things, and they get themselves into trouble, and they can't see very far, and they, they just don't. Matter of fact, they don't even know how to find their way back home, sheep. Before you call me prejudiced against sheep, let me just throw in a few more things, all right? Sheep will graze on the same hill over and over and over again until it becomes a wasteland. They will tear the grass out of its roots and so nothing grows. Right? They will keep walking the same trail over and again. Now if you go through Israel and you travel along the highways and in the, in the areas in which they have the sheep, you'll notice that there are like rings around the, the, the hills. Thought, what in the world is that? Turns out those are trails of sheep. And they're like, like deer and other animals. They will follow the same track over and over again till it creates a rut in the area. They have no homing instincts. I mean, a dog and a cat knows how to find their way home. Matter of fact, my dad sold a dog once, and they picked it up a few times, and it kept coming back to him over 20 miles away. So you think about this. This is interesting. Sheep, they just get lost. They have no way of, of finding their way back home and here's my favorite one. Sheep will lie down. And sometimes sheep will turn over on their back. But the problem is they can't turn back over. They get stuck on their back. They have no way of flipping themselves back over. And so the shepherd has to come over and roll them back over. Otherwise, the gas will be developed in their stomach, in their abdomen, and they'll eventually die there. Don't you want to be a sheep? Shepherds refer to that type of sheep as a cast sheep. So 
sheep are helpless. Sheep are relatively stupid animals. And throughout the Bible, God calls us sheep. That's who we are. We are relatively helpless, and apparently our wisdom is not as great as we think it is. And we are lost, and we are dying. And listen, whether we like it or not, I think sometimes we bear a strong family resemblance as well. We get a little woolly, don't we? Well, let's see how we do this. Sometimes we share their natural tendency to follow. We like to go around with the crowd, don't we? That's just who we are. And, and the crowd moves one way, and we do as well. We, we wait to find out because we don't want to stand out against the crowd and be somebody that's totally different, so we want to follow along with them. And once one person makes an assumption or a statement, we go right along with it. Sometimes that's how mob actions are created as well. Right and wrong for us sometimes depends on the latest poll. And we look and see how everybody else feels, and then we go along with them. What everyone else thinks or does is what we think or do, and we simply fall in line running along with the rest of the flock wherever they're going to lead us, and we really don't care where that goes. Like sheep, I think we can also be nearsighted at times. We live for only what we see right in front of us, and we fail to even see 15 yards down the road. And like sheep, we can be very stubborn and hard-headed and unmovable, I mean, we'll choose to do something and we'll keep doing it even though we know it's detrimental to ourselves. Because it's, there's something about those things that are addictive, even though they're harmful, we just can't stop. We simply fall in line running along with the rest of the flock. In his book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, Philip Keller writes these statements. And he once talks about how people are, well, let me read to you some of the, the words he says. He says, they remind me very much of a bunch of sheep I once watched one day, while, which were being led down to a magnificent mountain stream. He said, the, the snow-fed waters were flowing pure and clear and crystal clean between the lovely banks of trees. But on the way, isn't there always one of those but along the way? Statements, several stubborn ewes and their lambs, they stopped instead to drink from the small, dirty, muddy pools beside the trail. He said the water was, was filthy and polluted not only with the churned up mud from the passing sheep, but even the manure and the urine from the previous sheep and flocks that had passed that way. And still these stubborn sheep were quite sure it was the best drink obtainable. There is a way that seems right to a sheep, but an end, but it only ends in death. I think there's this passage of scripture that talks about man that way, isn't it? And then he goes on, he says, yes, I hear you. Okay, okay, there is clean, fresh water up ahead, but I don't care. I prefer to drink from the dirty and contaminated mud hole of my addictions and my bitterness. Yep. We're sheep, aren't we? But you know what? Sheep, we need a good shepherd. And Jesus is going to identify who that shepherd is. But it's not just any shepherd. We need a really good shepherd. Unfortunately, not every shepherd is a good 
shepherd. Again in his book, A Shepherd's Look at Psalm 23, Philip Keller writes these words. He says, A tenant shepherd on the farm next to my first ranch was the most indifferent manager I had ever met. He was not concerned about the condition of his sheep. His land was neglected. He gave little or no time to his flock, letting them pretty, pretty well forage for themselves as best they could both summer and winter. And every year, those poor creatures were forced to gnaw at bare brown fields and impoverished pastures. And as winter with its cold rains and chilling winds came on, my neighbor's sickly sheep would stand huddled at the fence, their tails to the storm, facing the rich fields in which my flock flourished. Those poor, abused, neglected creatures under the ownership of a heartless rancher, they had known nothing but suffering most of the year. And with them there had been gnawing hunger all summer. They were thin with disease and scab and parasites, tormented by flies and attacked by predators. Some were so weak and thin and wretched that their thin legs could scarcely bear the scanty frames. Always there seemed to lurk in their eyes the slender, faint hope that perhaps, with a bit of luck, they could break through the fence or crawl through some hole to free themselves. To all their distress, the heartless, selfish shepherd seemed utterly callous and indifferent. He simply didn't care, and he ignored his sheep. See, some shepherds don't really care about what they have. It's just about what they can get. Sheep need more than just a shepherd. They need a really good shepherd. And, and the sad truth is that God's people did not always have a good shepherd. Check out what the prophet Ezekiel writes in chapter 34. He writes about this shepherd of Israel. Now, now first, Ezekiel is going to talk about the sorry shepherds and leading God's people. And in the verses, we see this graphic picture of, of uh, the Pharisees, these hired hands, and how they treated the sheep. So he begins there in verse 1 of chapter 34 of Ezekiel. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesies against my shepherds in Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not <clears throat> shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, and the lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. And they wandered all over the mountains and, and on every hill. And my sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. 
And Jesus says there in John chapter 10, verse 12 and 13, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and he leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So Ezekiel is telling us in the Old Testament time that the Pharisees, the ones who were supposed to be the spiritual leaders, they're the ones who have abandoned the people of God and they've left them out there to be destroyed and they've left them in the process of the wolves of the other nations to come in and defeat them because they didn't protect and provide for them. And Jesus says, those are like thieves and robbers. And the reason they leave and abandon the sheep is because they're not theirs and they don't care about them. Do you think it was hard for God to watch the sheep that he loved to be scattered, to be devoured, to be destroyed by such shepherds? So that's why God says in Ezekiel 34 that before too long, in the person of the Son, he will come and he will shepherd his own people. So listen to what he says there in Ezekiel 34, 11 through 16, and in verse 30 and 31. He says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I... I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among the sheep that have been scattered, so I seek out my sheep. And I will rescue them from all places, and they will have been scattered on the day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel." by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country, I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy, and I will feed them in justice. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God, declares the Lord God. And and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture. And I am your God, declares the Lord God. Now man, I think that's wonderful. When we think about what he's telling them back in Ezekiel. You've had shepherds, these teachers of the law, that have left you to be harmed by things in this world. But I'm going to come and I'm going to find you. And I'm going to take care of you, and I'm going to feed you, and I'm going to tend to your needs. And I am personally going to do this for you. Isn't that wonderful? To know that, that God wants to be the one who personally takes care of us, rather than leaving us to somebody else to tend. You see, the sheep of Israel... 
the people of God no longer have to be mistreated. No longer that they have to be left because the good shepherd has come. He wants to provide for them. He knows their voices and they know his. He calls them by name and they know his name. He leads them and he lays down his life for them. So he provides and protects and cares. And what he does is he gives them life. And he gives this life that is abundant and full. So we are sheep. And we need a good shepherd. Now, if we're going to talk about a good shepherd, I can't leave out that wonderful psalm, Psalm 23. And Rob touched on it a little bit last week. But I want to dig into it just a little bit more as we kind of wrap things up here. See, I ask myself, why would God want the headaches and the heartaches of leading such a stubborn flock of people like us? It's because He loves us. Why would He extend His hand and His grace and His mercy and His blessings to us over and over again when we are the sheep who just simply wander off and do our own thing? Why would God want to put up with our moods and our grumbling and our stubbornness and just our constant sheep-likeness? I don't know. I don't know why he would do that. But he does. He puts up with me. And I don't understand it at times. I think it would be practically impossible for anybody who knows the Bible, who knows Jesus, to talk about him as the good shepherd and not really begin to understand that wonderful psalm that is quoted so many times. He begins by saying this, Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You see, Jesus wants to be your shepherd. Now that word translated <clears throat> Lord is the word Yahweh. It's the word that is used when God identifies himself to Moses, when Moses says, who shall I tell the people is, is sending me? He says, I am. So the great I am of all creation wants to be your shepherd. This all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present one who, is, who was and is and is to come wants to have a personal relationship with you. He wants to protect you in his sheepfold and lay there at the doorway so that nothing goes across him. And he's willing to sacrifice his life for you. Whether we realize it or not, he's exactly what we need. The problem is sometimes we think that that psalm tells us that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I mean, I get everything I want, right? That's not right. You have everything you Need. Matter of fact, another way to, to really translate that is just a wonderful verse is that <clears throat> I shall not be in want because I don't need anything else besides Him. Then He says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. Jesus wants to provide the nourishment for you. He wants to feed you. He wants to take care of you. Do you know what sheep eat? Grass. 
That's, that's what they eat. They eat grass. And there's grass all over, except where we destroy it. And he feeds us in a wonderful way. He leads us to a place where we can be fed. And in his word is the place in which we feed ourselves. Matter of fact, Jesus even understood that. He said, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We feed upon his word, his presence, his spirit in our lives, and we feel full. He then says there, he leads me beside still waters. Jesus wants to give you peace and rest. You see, sheep can't swim very well. Their, their wool gets really heavy and it weighs them down and, and they're just clumsy in water. And so they try to avoid any place where there's fast-moving water. It's got to be still. It's got to be quiet waters for them to want to get in it and drink. And so sometimes the shepherds will take and dam up a stream so it stops it from moving so much and then the sheep will be able to eat there. And, and so what God does for us, Jesus wants to take us to places where we can find peace and rest and we're not afraid to step in. And He, and he cares for us that way. Matter of fact, in Matthew 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who weary and are heavy burdened and laden, and I will give you rest. Psalm 23, verse 3 begins by saying, He restores my soul. Jesus wants to restore your soul. I mean, doing things like, like the traffic and the kids and, and the animals and our spouses and our parents and our jobs in life, do those ever just kind of bother you and weigh you down and, and, and just seem like it's never ending and, and just depletes your soul of all the energy you've got? But he wants to restore it. He wants to strengthen it. He wants to provide it. Now, actually, that word that is used to restore my soul, in other passages, it's translated convert or repent. It carries with it the idea of turning something around. And so he wants to turn around our lives into a, a better place so we don't go the direction that we have been going. And that's what David is telling us. It's that the Lord restores our soul by causing us to turn back to Him, by turning our eyes away from the things of this world and focusing on Christ and Him alone. And then he says, He leads me in paths of righteousness for His namesake. Have you ever been lost, needing directions? Nobody. Wow. I guess I'm the only one. All right, well, you, you, you know, we... You get, you get lost, and then all of a sudden, you know, it's the pride thing that you don't want to pull over and try and tell somebody, I'm lost and I need directions, can you help me get where I am? And that's just where we are a lot of times. And we've confused sometimes about the path that we need to take. But he's telling us he is going to lead us to these paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, because the paths that he leads us on, they're the right paths. They're the true paths. They're the paths that we're not going to find something that's going to hurt us or harm us in any way. But he does it not for you, but for his name's sake. So when people see us walking in righteousness, when they see us walking in the light as he is in the light, then it brings glory to God because of how we're living 
He moves on, he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. You see, Jesus, he wants to walk with you in dark times. He wants to be with you through those points of of grief and sorrow and misery and, and, and just where you feel all left alone. He wants to be with you. But I noticed a little shift in this statement. Because he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for he is with me, right? No, for you are with me. The pronoun changes in this psalm from he to you. And David is now beginning to connect things with his worship of God and our worship of God. And he goes on, he says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, Jesus wants to protect you. The rod is, is a stick about 36 inches long that they would carry with them, and they would use it to beat other animals or things, or sometimes to tap their sheep if they're misbehaving. But then the staff was used as his walking stick, but it had a crook on the end of it so he could reach out and pull his sheep back in, or if they get into an area that he could pull them up out of. So it was a very useful thing. He says, so he's there to protect us. We live in a very dangerous world, but when Jesus is our good shepherd, we can trust he's going to protect for us, and he's going to help us out of the situations that we get ourselves in. Verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You see, he wants to give you confidence even when you know you're surrounded by enemies. The table doesn't refer to a table like we would think a table is, like this. Actually, the table refers to a mat or a skin that they would lay out on the ground. Okay, So that's what he's talking about. And the enemy is somebody who is always harassing you or trying to, to go at you with their threats of abuse. And the term in the presence of, it carries the idea of drawing everyone's attention to something. Another form of in the presence of actually can also be translated on the hilltop. So they see it. You know, a light on a hill cannot be hidden, right? A city, because their lights come on. So here's a picture of confidence that he paints for us in these verses. Our enemies are pursuing us. They're seeking to harm us and to destroy us. And they look up, and not only do they see us on top of that hilltop up there, but they see us taking a break and having a lunch and enjoying that God is going to have the victory below upon them. So he prepares, prepares a table before my enemies, right in their very presence. He says, you can anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Jesus wants to bless your life. Overflow your life with blessings. Because in the process of the overflowing event, it falls onto other people. And so the blessings in your life then are meant to be shared with others. So we, in turn, become a blessing to other people. His grace is amazing. Now that word, he says, to follow, shall follow me all the days of my life. It means to chase something down, to pursue it, and have that dogged attention that you're going to get it. Have you ever watched the uh, Border Collies herd sheep? Yeah, they are interesting. If you've never watched it, go online and and just check out 
you know, dogs herding sheep. And you watch them, man, they are just, they go after it. And he says, His goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. His goodness and His mercy are pursuing you relentlessly. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that great? Jesus wants to be with you forever. Matter of fact, one of the last things He said before He ascended into heaven was that if we do these things, if, if we make disciples, if we baptize people, if we teach them to obey all things that He's commanded, that surely He will be with us always to the very end of the age. You see, we are sheep. And we need a good shepherd. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 and 36, He went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. He saw the crowds and He had compassion for them because... They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus wants to be your shepherd. Are you willing to follow him? Or are you going to run off somewhere else? I mean, that's what he's asking us to do. He wants us to follow him. He wants us to be in his flock. And he's out there searching for us. He's looking for you, and when He finds you, what are you going to do? Are you going to fight Him? Are you going to battle against Him to stay lost? Or do you want Him to lift Him out of the pit that you've got yourself stuck in? We are sheep, and we need a good shepherd. And Jesus is the greatest shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for Jesus, that you sent him into this world to search for us, to seek us out, and Father, to find us right where we are, where we have wandered off. And that Father, he's going to provide for us all of our needs. He leads us into a place where we find peace and rest. And Father, we can be with you forever because of what he has done. We are thankful. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.